Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the Whitehead Twins. But first, your true crime headlines. Three relatives of an 11-year-old girl are facing charges after the girl gave birth in the bathtub of her Missouri home. Police began investigating after an adult male brought the baby to the hospital with the umbilical cord and placenta still attached. He initially told police that someone had left the baby on his porch, but eventually admitted to being a relative, though he denied knowing that the girl was pregnant or had been sexually assaulted. Police found the 11-year-old at their home in St. Charles. Her 17-year-old brother admitted to assaulting the girl multiple times, but also claimed to be unaware of her pregnancy. He was charged with incest and statutory rape and is being held on $25,000 cash bail. Both the adult male and also an adult female in the home were charged with felony child endangerment and are each being held on $10,000 cash bail. A teenage girl was shot and killed during a home invasion, and five people have been arrested in connection with the crime. Police in Georgia say that four people were armed when they forced their way into the residence in the small town of Grantville. They restrained Alyssa Adams inside the home while they searched for another person who was not at home. Alyssa's 14-year-old daughter Haley hid from the intruders but confronted them with a BB gun as they ran back to their car. One of them fired multiple rounds at Haley, striking her in the back and rendering her paralyzed. She was rushed to the hospital, where she later died. According to the Coweta County Sheriff, the five suspects were all members of a white supremacist gang. The four men and one woman are all facing murder charges and are being held without bond. Three middle school classmates have been charged with murder in the December stabbing death of Tessa Majors, a Bernard College freshman who was killed during a robbery in Morningside Park, not far from campus. Prosecutors allege that the three boys entered the park that evening looking for someone to rob. They approached the 18-year-old college student and demanded her cell phone. Majors resisted, biting one of them on the hand. One of the teenagers placed her in a headlock and another stabbed her repeatedly. Then the attackers ran away. Majors was found bleeding by a security guard and died at a nearby hospital. One of the three suspects, a 13-year-old, was arrested the day after the attack. Under questioning by police, he admitted his involvement and implicated his classmates, both 14 years old. The 13-year-old has been charged with second-degree felony murder as a juvenile. He is expected to go to trial in March in family court. The 14-year-olds have both been charged with second-degree murder and robbery, and they will be tried as adults. They are being held in a juvenile detention facility as they await trial. Under New York state law, prosecutors have the discretion to try defendants as young as 14 as adults for certain violent crimes. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, the Whitehead Twins. But first, a quick break. This year, I'm all about healthier habits, self-care, and getting into better shape. But for me, it's not necessarily about losing weight. 
That's why I decided to try Noom. Noom is the app that's a fitness instructor, meal planner, and life coach all rolled into one. Noom knows that everyone is different and adjusts to my lifestyle and goals. And Noom is not a diet. No food is good or bad or off limits. Noom teaches moderation and can be used whatever diet you're on. I'm stubborn and don't like being told what to do, and I like Noom because it adjusts to me and lets me set my own pace. Instead of rules, Noom teaches you the psychology behind the decisions you make, arms you with the tools to break your bad habits, and helps you keep track of the workouts and meal plans that you set for yourself. It even suggests recipes. And Noom has taught me so much about food. You know what calories are, but do you know what calorie density is? I didn't think so. Noom will tell you all about it. In just 10 minutes a day, Noom has empowered me to take back control over my own health and fitness goals in my own way. And when I stray off the path, there's no shaming, just tips to get back on track. Small steps make big progress. Take your first step today. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash mm. That's n-o-o-m dot com slash mm. What do you have to lose? Go to noom.com slash mm. If you're on social media, and we know you are, you've probably heard of the beauty brand Glossier. I know, you're probably like me. You've tried hundreds of products and had your heart broken before. But Glossier isn't just another pretty face. It's beautiful inside and out. Glossier makes cruelty-free products designed with your actual beauty routine in mind. Skin care, makeup, fragrance, all painstakingly perfected to be worthy of your bathroom shelf. I've been in a war with my skin since I was a teenager. First I battled oil and acne, and now that I'm a little older, it's dryness and fine lines. And all my life, I've used makeup to pull a mask over my skin issues. But usually the ingredients and the products I used only made the problem worse. But not anymore. Glossier puts skin first, makeup second. So you know that you're not just covering up your skin, you're actually treating it. This winter, I'm treating my lips with BerryBalm.com. It's moisturizing my chapped lips while also giving me a perfectly subtle swipe of color. But my favorite Glossier product is their Milky Jelly Cleanser. And I'm not the only one. This is one of Glossier's top-selling products. The pH Balanced Formula is a blend of five different conditioners. It's dermatologist-tested, hypoallergenic, non-irritating, paraben-free, and, and this is important to me, cruelty-free. The Milky Jelly Cleanser doesn't lather. Its jelly consistency feels like a thick, soothing night cream, and yet somehow effortlessly dissolves every stitch of makeup without drying out my skin or leaving an oily film. Perfect for my combination skin. And we know that it's what's inside that counts, but the packaging really is beautiful. Get that glowy, dewy skin for yourself by visiting Glossier.com slash podcast slash mm. Learn more and take the quiz to find your ultimate Glossier skincare routine. Plus, 
new customers get 10% off their first order at glossier.com slash podcast slash mm. That's G-L-O-S-S-I-E-R dot com slash podcast slash mm. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Today, the story of the Whitehead twins. Research shows that twins bond in the womb, interacting with each other as early as 14 weeks into pregnancy, and that 40% of twins create a language as infants, a shared vocabulary only they can understand. The phenomenon is known as cryptophagia, a Greek word that literally means secret speech. Identical twins who grow up together share much more than that. DNA, appearance, treasured milestones, and, in some cases, the darkest of tragedies. Ones that can't be kept secret. So goes the story of Jasmia and Tasmia Whitehead, best known as Jazz and Taz. Their mother, Nikki Whitehead, was larger than life from the get-go, according to her mother, Linda. She was the kind of person that when she comes in a room, she takes over the space with her personality, her laughter, she told Dateline in 2016. By age 12, the full-on wild child was a lot for Linda to handle as a single parent raising other kids, too. So Nikki went to live with her grandmother, Della Frazier. Della adored Nikki, but struggled to keep tabs on her through her teens. At age 17, Nikki became pregnant with the twins. When they were born in 1993, Nikki had moved out and wasn't equipped to care for two small infants. So Della took Jazz and Taz in to raise them as her own. In an interview with the Rockdale Newton Citizens in 2014, Della described the twins' years at her home as rich and full. She and her husband took the girls to tennis, music, and ballet lessons. Eager learners, both twins became straight-A students. Meanwhile, their mother visited occasionally. Nikki was a person who liked to go out, and she stayed gone all the time, Della said. And she got in the wrong lifestyle. She started doing drugs and drinking and got in with the wrong people. As the teens reached Sweet 16, it seemed things were changing for Nikki. She had moved to Conyers, Georgia, a suburb that has the feel of a quaint small town, an antique-style downtown, safe neighborhoods, good schools. She lived with her boyfriend and worked in a beauty salon, where she was beloved by customers. No one exactly knows why Nikki decided to reclaim the twins then. Maybe she finally felt ready and able to provide for them. A longtime friend of Nikki said she had been longing for independence. Della believes Nikki's mother, Linda, pressured her to take the girls in, perhaps out of regret for not raising Nikki. While living with Nikki, the twins became rebellious. Sudden changes of parents and homes can fuel trauma and developmental problems, according to experts, so maybe that's why. Complications like substance abuse disorders, depression, and impaired thinking are common. And even without upheaval, teen years tend to be tricky. Confident they were using drugs and acting out sexually, Nikki tried to put her foot down, giving them rules and structure she hoped would help keep them safe. But the girls perceived her attempts as hypocritical and defied her more. On top of all of that, Della described an intergenerational power struggle over parenting rights. 
Linda encouraged Nikki to distance the twins from Della, who some have called the most stable influence in their lives. Della said she tried to allow room for Nikki and the girls to tighten their relationship, but she worried because Nikki often left them alone at home or in public places. When the twins couldn't reach Nikki, they sometimes phoned Della for support. Rather than improving, the relationship between Nikki and the girls grew increasingly strained and even violent. In late June 2008, Nikki phoned the police, stating that the girls attacked her. Officers arrived to the home, calmed things down, and then left. Minutes later, Nikki ran after them, saying they attacked her again. Fresh scratch marks were found on all three family members, including fresh ones police hadn't observed minutes before. The twins claimed Nikki started the fight, but police believed she was the victim. Jazz and Taz were arrested and ruled ungovernable by a juvenile court judge who ordered the trio to family counseling. Over the next few years, the twins were in and out of juvenile court. Custody of the girls shifted back and forth between Nikki and Della until a counselor determined that giving custody to Della, quote, swapped one situation for another. According to court records, a family counselor noted, this is a family that thrives in chaos. The twins returned to Nikki's home for the last time on January 5th, 2010. They begged and pleaded with the judge not to send them back here, Della told reporters. They cried and screamed. The twins were told they would see how it goes, and a status conference was scheduled for January 19th. But that would never happen. On January 13th, Jazz and Taz flagged down a police car. They were visibly distraught, said detectives, as they described returning home from school to find their mother dead in the bathtub. The crime scene indicated a violent struggle. Lieutenant Chris Moon called it the bloodiest he had ever seen. Detectives brought the twins to the station for questioning as witnesses, with the understanding that they had been traumatized by the heartbreaking and grisly discovery of their murdered mom. Footage from the police station shows the pair being seated at a large wooden table. You can sit here, sweetheart, an officer says. Both girls are dressed in black and slightly slumped forward, appearing forlorn. Before them stands a big box of tissues and large cups of water. Jazz like screamed and I looked that way and all I saw was blood all over the floor, Taz said of their arrival home. Several times during the interview, Jazz called out for her mother. At one point, Taz encouraged her, you gotta be strong, Jazz, you got to, cause I'm gonna make sure they find the person who did it. Taz recalled finding a giant red vase that usually sits on a living room table, broken on the floor. There was blood on the front of the door, she added, and a line of blood, like they dragged her in there, and I thought, you know how they line up on TV? She was right. Nikki had been dragged, leaving a path of bloodstains from the living room, through the master bedroom, and into the bathroom. As the questioning progressed, something didn't seem quite right to the detectives, according to Georgia news program Eleven Live. The twins said they never saw their mother that morning, missed the bus, walked to school, and attended all of their classes. But gas station surveillance video showed a very different story. 
that they had hitchhiked to school, arriving two hours late. Gloves covered the girls' hands, even though they were indoors. When police asked them to remove the gloves, they noticed what looked like scratch and bite marks on their hands. At first, the girls claimed the bite marks were self-inflicted, something they sometimes do to ease anxiety. Jazz even demonstrated what they meant, raising her hand to her open mouth, like this. At another point, they claimed the mark stemmed from a fight with their mom. Officers told the girls they would have to change out of their clothes since they'd been present at the crime scene and needed to be tested. And they decided to separate the twins for further questioning, something neither sister seemed pleased about. Jazz was first to be questioned alone. Is there anything you haven't told me? An officer asked. By that point, they had found blood on the clothing in the wash and in the trash at the home, but none on the clothing they had arrived in. Jazz replied no and started rocking, as though to self-soothe. Do you think we did it? She asked, continuing to deny any involvement. Meanwhile, Taz sat alone in another room. Surveillance video shows her glancing up toward the camera. Then she looks away and starts talking. I can't eat. Mom is dead. Stupid scratch. They're going to blame this whole thing on me because of a stupid scratch. And then she prays. Please, God, I'm really hoping they catch this person. When it was Taz's turn for questioning, she said through tears, We told her we hate her, told her we wish she was dead, but she really did die. I told her that plenty of times before, but she never died. The twins went home with Della that night and back to school the next morning. As they resumed their daily lives in this new normal, police were watching their every move, building a case against them. Among the building evidence was a note recovered from the crime scene, written from Jazz to her boyfriend. I love you, Robert. I'm just sad, unhappy, depressed, unmotivated, hopeless, it said. That's why I don't talk very much, but it's not you. I just hate living here, being with her. A stab wound to Nikki's spinal cord, nearly severing it, caused her death. The medical examiner called it a crime of passion, likely performed by someone Nikki knew. DNA testing ruled Robert out as a suspect, but the bite marks on the twins' skin from their mother implicated their involvement. Similar marks on Nikki's body were linked with Jazz. In May 2010, Jazz and Taz were arrested and charged with their mother's homicide. An audio recording from the day of the arrest captured this conversation between the girls. Jazz, they're talking about the damn bite marks. Taz, yeah, they're saying that I have mama's teeth on my arm. I'm not going down for something I did not do. Jazz, me either. Taz, the day that you find a murder weapon with my fingerprints on it or something, please do that. Please find a murder weapon and then it will be different, for real. Jazz, what the F are we waiting for? has. They're having effing coffee and donuts and having a jolly old time. They don't care. The twins' previously sweet and concerned tone had shifted toward anger. It changed again once they were in custody, suited in orange jumpsuits and handcuffs. They broke down on camera, giving detailed confessions. It started with a fight with Nikki in the kitchen, they said, after they had woken up late for school. They recalled her saying, You're late for school. You're not going to do what you want to do. You have to live by my rules. 
Then she started waving a pot around in the air, as though she was going to hit them, and a fight ensued. It wasn't like it was a fight on the street, Jazz said. It was more like a fight until somebody dies. Taz said that when she took the pot from her mom, Nikki grabbed a knife, kind of turned, and said, get back. But she didn't keep the knife in her hand. Still, Jazz felt Nikki was winning the battle with the knife, so she picked up a red vase and broke it over her head. She bit me in the chest, Jazz added. When she bit me, she latched onto me. I'm trying to get her off of me because it hurts. I'm trying to punch her, I guess. Then I think Taz stabbed her. At some point, Jazz said, she choked her mother with a medallion she had won as a child. Her mother responded with a backhand blow, stunning Jazz. I think I picked up the knife, she said, and I stabbed her. They weren't like cuts, they were deep. After the frenzy of screaming, biting, and stabbing, they dragged their mother into the bathtub. At that point, she remained alive and talking. According to Jazz, she said she hated them and that they would be going to jail. Jazz told her how sorry she was. Soon after, Nikki died. The sisters sat there crying in disbelief of what they had done. Then they tried to clean up, left for school, and began planning the lies they would share with the police. When they returned later, they expected to find police officers in the home and their mother gone. Instead, they walked back into the untouched horror. I just really wish it didn't happen like that, Taz said. I wish I could have saw something else to do. I wish... Sorry, it was just confusion, like turmoil. It just seemed like it never stopped. I'm sorry and I miss her, said Jazz. I didn't hate her, and Taz didn't hate her either. I guess it was heat of the moment and built up anger between all three of us. The twins said they wished they had phoned the police during the fight, before it was too late. They regretted not telling the truth from the start, and they wished they still had a mother. In January 2014, Taz and Jazz Whitehead pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter, possession of a knife during a crime, and making false statements to police. They were each sentenced to 30 years in separate prisons. Della continues to care for the now young women. She routinely visits them, corresponds, and provides them with essentials and money. After earning their GEDs, Taz started taking computer courses and Jazz began studying in the medical field. Their crimes, committed at a time when their brains were still developing, have largely been considered complicated tragedies, resulting from intergenerational trauma and perhaps systematic failures. My heart bleeds for their mom and for them, Dell told the citizen in 2014. I can't bring Nikki back, but I can hope and pray that God will help them be productive. A Facebook memorial page for Jarmeka Nikki Whitehead, run by her sister, is filled with inspirational videos and memes dedicated to the woman who lost her life a decade ago. A post published on the seventh anniversary reads like a poem. Different day, same date. Seventh year today, Jarmeka, you were greatly missed. Amiable person you always were. Royal hair you always served. Motherly love you always showed. Embracing what life blessed you with. Compassion and creativity with style. Courageous through all of your trials of life. 
affectionate with a heart of heart, the light of love and life, reflection of my sister. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.